0: It's Tuesday, June 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark and Joining me in the studio, from Million Dollar Portfolio, Michael Olson, and from The Wall Street Journal, Morgan Hazel. Gentlemen, how's it going? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Our very own Morgan Hazel, Wall Street Journal columnist. Man, that's pretty cool.
1: Well, not, not quite yet. Not
0: yet, but soon. Soon the people will be able to read Morgan Hazel, not only on fool.com, but on the Wall Street Journal, congratulations on that, Thanks. Man. That's really cool. Thanks, on occasion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well-deserved. Yeah. Well-deserved, absolutely. Um, so, we've got a couple things to get to today, but let's begin with Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Shares of Vertex have soared over 40% today on the news that its two cystic fibrosis treatments finished their final trials with strong results. 40%. Mike, uh, what's this mean for Vertex, first and
2: foremost? And can they go higher than this? So, I... I do think that this is very significant for Vertex um, because these drugs are effectively orphan drugs, meaning they have no competing drugs, and they also deal in niche sort of diseases and treatments, Mm -hmm. um, which which means that they basically have a license to price. And because the economics of developing a competing drug are are somewhat challenged uh, because of the market size, you will, in all likelihood, not see other competitors, at least not for the foreseeable future. Um, You know, I guess. I I don't really have a strong sense for whether or not the shares are going to go higher, and Mm -hmm. I think – you know more than anything, the mere fact that these shares can move forty percent higher in a given day on announcement of this data, and certainly it's significant because this in much assures that the drug will find its way to market uh, shows the extent to which most investors have no business investing in these companies <laughs> um, you know the, the, I kind of think of these things as probability trees where there's there's a likelihood that you know the drug may be approved and may not be approved thereafter there's a likelihood that um the drug is going to have X market size, and so in that sense, that kind of encapsulates the challenges associated with thinking about these these companies. You have to be at once a scientist an investor, and have a good sense for what the market is pricing or not with respect to a given drug and most people i mean certainly not me wish I did, but do not possess that skill set and moreover these these companies are are you know the sort that are Subject to rampant speculation because everybody loves the idea of a quick buck. Now, if you're an opportunistic investor, when and if that promise sometimes fails, investors, you can go ahead and swoop in. But more than anything, on a on a sort of circle of competence basis, I just don't think most people really have business in these small biotechs.
1: So, <laughs> the, you know, the larger the move is in a one on a one day basis, mm. the greater the chance that the outcome could have been different right, <laughs> right. so the fact that yeah. shares are up 40 50% this morning mm-hmm. that and right that that signifies that yesterday twenty four, twelve 12 hours ago we really had no idea mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. That, that this was going to occur so that's just an indication of you know how things could have turned out differently, like which, as, 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 as Mike says, you know, it's just uh, it's just an indication that uh, most investors probably shouldn't have anything to do with these companies. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Well, it's gambling at a certain point, and I love to gamble. Uh, why, uh-huh. why not? 50-50 uh, shot. Yeah. Uh, goes they, up, yeah, goes
2: yeah, down. Hey, your, your odds are probably better than a lottery ticket in the long run, but not <laughs> significantly better. You, you, um. get,
1: you can get free <laughs> drinks in Vegas, too. It's, it's yeah. a better
2: deal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> True that. All right. Um, now, let's take a step back and examine the market as a whole, which has been hit by a lot of Deal making hmm. fever. Uh, and maybe it's because it's uh, not earnings season anymore, but these days when I look around, I see story after story about IPOs, mergers, acquisitions, tax inversions. Uh, first and foremost, why are so many companies looking to make a deal? Is it interest rates? Does everyone just have cash lying around? What's the deal?
1: I, I in one sense, I think it's it just comes down to incentives, and it's much easier for CEOs whose pay is tied to short-term results hmm. to boost earnings per share over the next year by doing uh, some sort of you know financial arbitrage or you know financial engineering to boost earnings right now. It's much easier and less risky to do that than it is to invest in your own company to try to boost earnings five years from now. Right. So I think in the last ten, twenty years, we've seen a boom in deal making. Mm. For that reason, it's not because it's the best long term deal for shareholders for these companies to get together. It's it's just how the people running the company, the companies are incentivized.
2: Yeah. So and I. So, no, go ahead. No, it's yeah.
1: Like I said, it's just much easier to do financial engineering than it is to invest in your own company. Right. And and. Build new products and innovate, and in R and D and whatnot. So I think that's what you see. You see more deal making and less R and D. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I think that you know there are probably two sort of watchwords around this. Um, the first is that you know now that deal making is alive and well again, and private equity is coming in. You have these tax inversions, which is sort of the flavor of the day, um, and and you know then there are so-called strategic transactions. Investors. You know, are speculated over what the next big deal is, mm. and that is never a good reason to invest. Um, you know, and you know, oftentimes a lot of folks will go ahead and pile in when and if a deal has been announced, and you should probably be careful of that because a lot of very smart people have opined in that at merger arb desks in very very large investment banks, mm. and you know, these people are are purportedly quite smart. Um, you know, <laughs> and Outside of that, I think you kind of want to consider that when deal-making activity does pick up, that usually is a sign that animal spirits are alive and well. Um, (laughs) Tell me more. That is not a good sign for the overall state of markets. Mm. People are most prone to throwing caution to the wind when and if, you know, Things are likely to get bad. There's sort of a, a market sort of continuum, and when and if people are feeling optimistic about things, you do not want to be. When things are when there there is a high degree of pessimism, hmm. that's when you probably want to start feeling good. And you know when you look at a lot of these things that are happening right now, private equity deals, and certainly the, these are buttressed by uh, lower interest rates. Um, they are taking on near record levels of leverage. Um, a lot of these companies and these so called strategic deals they 're paying pretty large premiums for sometimes what are not particularly great firms uh, the The tyson um, Pinnacle Foods deal comes to mind mm-hmm. um, and i I think that you know they have some benefit in low interest rates but it 's also a little bit worrisome. I don't think markets are tremendously expensive right now, but they certainly are not cheap. And then on the idea of tax inversion, I'll just give a quick one-off, which is to say that if and when a company acquires or merges with a foreign domiciled company, that does not immediately lower their tax rate. Because if you have U.S. domiciled assets, in order to reincorporate them abroad, you will have to pay a capital gain on that. perfect example of this is the Medtronic-Covidian deal, which happened last week. Mm -hmm. That was framed as a tax inversion. And Medtronic basically said, our tax rate isn't going to go down on a U.S. On Medtronic proper, um, mm-hmm. and that is for that very reason. Um, I think that what you—if you, if, if, you know—this is this is sort of the soup du jour in the medical device space, where everyone's saying tax inversion, tax inversion, tax inversion. You don't want to be investing for that reason. If there's more more than anything, you want there to be strategic merit in these deals, and the tax inversion is sort of a cherry on top. Maybe reincorporating your foreign subsidiaries or U.S. subsidiary. Will create long-term benefits, but that is something which is kind of it's open for interpretation. So, this whole thing, you know, it's it's nice, but um, I don't think that investors should let that influence their decisions in any sort of meaningful way.
0: Right. All right. So, looking around at today's deals, you you mentioned uh, the love triangle between Hillshire, Pilgrims, and Tyson's, uh, Medtronic, and Covidian. Pfizer was going after AstraZeneca. AT and T is acquiring Comcast. Looking at all these deals, which do you think has the best chance of going through and is the best deal for investors? I suppose.
2: Um, You know, I think I think one that I actually I like, and I've written about Zimmer. uh, The Zimmer um, is it? Why am I? Why is this? eluding me, okay. Um, (laughs) They acquired one of their competitors, a very large uh, orthotics company, and in doing so, they will be able to create substantial synergies on R&D and sales. Um, Was it Biomet? It was Biomet. Ah, uh, yes.
0: Off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Uh
2: So that one is somewhat interesting. I also think the AT&T DirecTV deal Mm -hmm. has the potential to be interesting in that they're going to be able to go ahead and um, they will be able to scale their investment in bandwidth and hopefully offer higher value offerings, bundle services. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of market skepticism around that just because um, a lot of direct DirecTV's offerings are perceived to be uh, yesterday's. But uh, that one has has
1: potential to be interesting to me. Hmm. What about you, Morgan? I'm probably more cynical because the, the, historically the percentage of mega deals that work out and are of value to shareholders is so incredibly low that when I see these headlines, I, I shake my head more than I get excited. <laughs> <laughs> you are such a glass-half-empty kind of
0: guy, yeah, Morgan. Just total glum. Oh, <sighs> awful. All right, so what about IPOs? Uh, it seems like everywhere I look, it's Alibaba this, Alibaba that. Is it all Alibaba these days for you guys, or are you keeping your eyes out for other IPOs and looking at Alibaba? Thoughts on its success? It's, it's you know, I, such I,
1: a big company. It's a huge company. I, I've mentioned that before, I think, on this show. I would be interested to see if you polled the American people, hmm. how many people have heard of, of Alibaba, right? And I bet it's incredibly small, right? And mm-hmm. even their their uh, their U.S. subsidiaries that are that are that are launching, you know, to take on Amazon and whatnot. How many people have heard of those companies? Mm -hmm. It's pretty small. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of another company that is as large and dominant in one market and probably unknown in another Mm -hmm. uh, as Alibaba. So, it's there's a big gap between the size of the company Mm -hmm. and, in my view, its potential, but maybe I'm wrong. about.
0: Well, is the the gap, uh, uh, does that create more potential for investors or is that a bad thing? Is that going to work to its, uh, is that a disadvantage when it finally hits the market?
1: I mean, it's going to be a a big and powerful company just because it's already entrenched in other markets. Mm -hmm. But whether it's going to make a big foothold in the United States, I think, is is another question. Okay.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty firmly of the belief that uh, Alibaba's, the likelihood of them getting a strong sort of foothold in the United States is inherently limited. I think e-commerce, in in sort of general sense, is a winner-take-all market. Mm. Where when and if you have substantial sales volume, that will... Attract vendors to list on your site, which will in turn attract more consumers and push prices lower. So, Alibaba, um, you know, e commerce is still in the early innings, even now within the States, but that's going to be hard for them to go, go ahead and get a meaningful foothold. Mm-hmm. Um, the extent of the market enthusiasm surrounding this mysterious, uh, or not, perhaps mysterious, but not Chinese e commerce giant mm-hmm. um, will, in all likelihood, Um, give me pause, at least initially, with respect to the IPO pricing. Um, I don't think we really have much of a clear indication as to to what it will or will not price for. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll be curious, but I will be proceeding with skepticism, because uh, (laughs) these are the types of things that... um, Attractive following. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: Cynics and skeptics in the studio today.
2: Sad. (laughs) Come on, guys. We're
0: fools. Be happy. Half the company is over at King's Dominion today. How come you guys didn't go? I don't do roller coasters. Yeah. Cynics and skeptics. That's, that's right. why. That's right. Yeah, no amusement mm-hmm. parks for us.
2: Okay. Uh, <laughs> fun.
0: Yeah. Um. <laughs> fun. <laughs> uh, last but certainly not least, some big headlines today about the Case Schiller 20 City Composite. The big number was the 10.8% year over year increase across the board, though that's a deceleration from home price um, uh, increases from the last time this report came out. You guys worried about the slowdown? Uh, is it is it just numbers? Is it just noise? Uh, well, I
1: think it, it's inevitable that there's going to be a slowdown. Over the long run, mm-hmm. home prices nationwide historically have about kept up with the overall rate of inflation and nothing else. Hmm. So when you see home prices going up 10% in a year when overall inflation was 2%, that gap's going to close eventually. So mm-hmm. it's it's inevitable that, that there's going to be some slowdown there. Cynics right. and skeptics. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think, you know,
2: this is this is sort of a point where we're, we're getting to the watchword on home prices. Um, if you're to look, kind of a reliable indicator across the long run is the price-to-income ratio. Mm. And right now, people are perhaps able to afford a lot more home than they were historically on account of the fact that interest rates are historically low. And so, people who get a home right now, they're you know able to afford mo- more home than they might otherwise have. And to the extent that that buying continues, That will, of course, continue to push home prices higher. Um, So now, people who are buying homes right now, you probably want to think about being in that home for the long term, because at some point or another, interest rates are going to move higher. That will reduce affordability. And then that sort of long-term price-to-income ratio, which is applied, will take hold. and so, I also think that one thing you want to sort of be mindful of is this is the 20 city index. Mm-hmm. And so, these are the, the sort of major metropolitan areas. And those things are influenced by averages. I wouldn't be at all surprised to learn that you're going to see a continued deceleration in this number because the very people who are going to sort of organically drive home prices, and these are first time home buyers because they will facilitate trade up for other home buyers. Those people still don 't have a lot of equity are underemployed and have a lot of debt um, and you know more often than not they 're also priced out of a lot of these markets and so I think you 're seeing sort of a a top down driver where the more wealthy individuals are driving these gains and that 's perhaps sustainable for a little bit because of the the decline we saw but on a longer term basis um I I would be very surprised if you see these types of gains persist.
0: Hmm. All right. One of the other headlines that caught my eye this morning was over at MarketWatch. It read, should you move to Detroit? I'm inclined to say no, uh, inclined to say no. But let's examine the issue. Home prices is there pretty cheap these days. We were we were swapping stories before the show about uh, there is some there's some deals to be made over there. Is there enough value in Detroit for you guys to move buy a home over there?
1: Well, I think most of the time you get what you pay for. So you can look at these headlines and see. Well, yeah, you can get a home for fifty grand, seventy five grand. The other side of that is that the majority of workers, not everyone, but you, if you move there, your income prospects are going to be so depressed right. compared to where they otherwise could have been. Right. What is it? Twenty
0: three percent out of work right now uh, in Detroit. That, that sounds about right.
2: <laughs> I tell you, I live. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher. You yeah.
1: Know? Yeah. Right now, I live in Baltimore. My wife goes to school there. So mm. Baltimore is in a similar situation as Detroit. It's lost half its population since nineteen fifty. Right. It is incredibly depressing, and you drive through inner city Baltimore. It just looks like a movie set sometimes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. One third of buildings in Baltimore are vacant, and a lot of them collapsed twenty, thirty, forty years ago, and no one has done anything about it. And it truly looks like a movie set. And you drive through there, and you realize, okay, if they're selling these homes for ten grand, that's probably ten grand overpriced. <laughs> I mean, they're not worth anything.
2: <laughs> I mean, I th- yeah, I think this is sort of the Ben Graham cigar butt phenomenon, which is that you might be able to catch that last puff, but. It's uncertain how good, tasty, or nutritious it will indeed be. And moreover, you know, it's, as, as Morgan was saying, it's just like, yes, I can get a house for $75,000, but who's going to want to buy it for me in the, at the end of the day? Hmm. Um, I just don't understand why I would want to live there. Um, and I don't understand why other people would want to re- relocate there either. What are your employment prospects? Um, and and you know, so it's I guess if you like being in depressing places and
1: Which apparently we do on I was the gonna show.
2: say it seems perfect yeah. for you two. <laughs> yeah. Cynics and skeptics, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen.
0: All right, Michael Olson, Morgan Hasel, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Cheers. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton, Here's a Who. I'm Mark Reef. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.